Well, we're going to continue uh, talking about the satisfied life. And I uh, hope that you didn't come expecting uh, maybe some principles that uh, uh, Dr. Phil or somebody else who might share with you how to have better self-esteem. But we want to look at the Word of God and define satisfied life and the experience the way God defines it. But a lot of it has to do with relationships. We'll talk about that this morning. So if you find your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up. We'll begin in Proverbs chapter 27 with one verse. So as we open to Proverbs 27, let's stand as we read verse 10 together. And after looking at this verse, like we've said uh, week after week, the themes of Proverbs aren't always uh, in one specific text surrounded by the neatest context in Proverbs because these words of wisdom are woven like a tapestry throughout uh, with various themes that you find again and again. And so we will uh, flip the pages often to see Proverbs dealing with the themes that we look at. And I've titled the message this morning, I Can Relate. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, but you might have a question mark after that phrase. I can relate. Can we relate? How are we doing when it comes to relating to the people around us and the people in this world? Look at Proverbs 27.10. It's a great starting point here. It says, don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Good friendships, good relationships in the body of Christ and even with the people around us in the community in which we live can sometimes be like a family and sometimes, depending on our background, seem more important or at least more valuable at times than, than in some cases even our own family seem. And so can we relate to the people around us? Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to give us your wisdom, empower us with your spirit, give us the uh, biblical skills necessary, Lord, to be able to relate to the people around us, that we might be ambassadors for Christ in this world that needs Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, when it comes to what the media is telling us about relationships today, there's never been a time where the socially awkward relationships have been more popular. <laughs> if not something that we would desire, at least something we have watched, enjoy watching on TV. With TV shows like The Office and others that have uh, kind of won the millennial generation over, we love watching people in socially awkward moments. Now, I want you to think for a moment about maybe one of your most socially awkward moments when it comes to a relationship or a friendship. I can think of one of my most socially awkward moments, and I've had plenty of socially awkward moments in my lifetime. But the one I remember the most, and, and probably I look back on it and I'm like, how do I remember this particular day? It was when I had reached that age where um, in, in my neighborhood, I, I was old enough now to stay at home and not go to the babysitter's house, but I was not quite old enough to babysit my little brother and little sister at this time. And so I was kind of home alone. And on this particular day, and some of you have heard about my neighborhood gang, so to speak, that we ran around, got in a lot of trouble and that sort of thing. And there was about seven of us that hung out all the time. And usually in the summertime, when we were home from school, that meant playing a lot of baseball in the summertime. And if all seven of us were together, that meant somebody had to be the pitcher for both teams, and then everybody else 
um, you know, divided up three on three. Yes, we actually played baseball games three on three. Some of you remember doing that. And then, you know, if there were, if there were six of us, it was three against three and somebody had to pitch. If there were five of us, somebody was pitcher and it was two on two. If there were only three or four of us, however, um, which was rare, if there were only three or four of us, then we would uh, probably get up a game of rundown. Who, who played rundown before? You know what I'm talking about? You have the two bases and you see who can, get the, who can steal the most bases while two people have gloves and, and the ball throwing it back and forth. And, and then if there were only two of us, you could at least play a good game of catch. And if somebody had a baseball, if we hadn't hit it into the briar patch or something like that, if somebody had a good baseball, and I remember this particular day because I'd gotten a new baseball, and I had my glove, and I wanted to play pitch with somebody, and I knew that my friend Jeffrey down the road was not at home, and so my next-door neighbor, Brian, I knocked on his door, and he wasn't at home. Next to him was uh, my friend Michael that we used to throw baseball a lot together, in fact. But, but I went to Brian's house, and Brian's not at home. This is you know, not going well so far. We're, not gonna, we're obviously not going to get up a game. But if Michael's home, we can, well, Michael wasn't home, but his older brother was watching. And I was usually a little bit intimidate, intimidated by him because he could kind of, he was the oldest of all of us, the biggest and the strongest of all of us. And he could be a little bit of a bully at times. And if you played pitch with him, then your head, hand was going to be so red, you couldn't hardly catch the ball anymore because he would just burn you up the whole time, see how hard he could throw it. And, and so he was kind of watching me as I went to Brian's house, Brian went home and I went to his house, and I asked if his brother, if, if I said, is Michael at home? And he said, uh, no, he's not here today. And I thought, bummer. But I didn't ask him if he wanted to play catch. And I just kind of walked away, and you take a left, and I go, and Todd's not at home down the street, and I head back up the other way. Ken's always, oh, no, Ken's not at home. Now I've got to walk back by Michael's older brother, and nobody else is at home, and I really, I had a ball. I, I really wanted to play catch with somebody. And so not only is it awkward now because I'm the shy kid in the neighborhood and I've got to ask the guy that I was most intimidated by if he wants to play catch with me, but now I've got to do it with him knowing he was my last choice <laughs> because he watched me go to at least three other homes and see if somebody wanted to play catch. But I really wanted to throw the baseball. I really did not want to go back to my house by myself. And so I I, I got the courage up, and I walked. He's there on the front porch, and I said, hey, you want to you throw the baseball? And he said, yeah, I'll throw it with you. He went in, and he got his glove. So on that particular day, it's the only time with, with all of these friends in the neighborhoods, we all had our times with a group, and we all had our one-on-one crazy times. But I never forgot that game of catch that I overcame a little bit of social awkwardness. As I got older and I looked back on it, it was even funnier and more awkward at the moment. I thought, my goodness, he knows that he was my last pick, that I had gone to every other house in the neighborhood before I came back and said, hey, you want to you wanna play catch? Well, what could cause a shy kid to go up in this situation and say, and by the way, for some reason that particular day, nobody else around, he didn't throw so hard that I had to go ice my hand or anything afterwards. I mean, we just... We just threw the baseball back and forth like boys enjoy doing, practicing our knuckles and our curves and our fastballs and everything else. But, but that day, I, I never forgot that day. And I looked back and I thought, man, how awkward that must have been for me and for him knowing that I had gone everywhere else. Why did I do that? What would make me do that? Because I love baseball. I love to throw. Is anything more fun than just getting together with somebody else, two people with a ball glove and throwing a ball around? I, I loved that. I enjoyed that. that. That helped me to overcome. I had a baseball. I had a new baseball, and I wanted to throw the ball with somebody. 
But how many times when it comes to building relationships for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, getting to know the people around us, people in our community, we feel so socially awkward about the gospel, the fact that we're a Christian and they may not be, the fact that we work with people that may not share the same values, we go to school with people who may make fun of us for taking a stand for Christ, and we, we have Jesus Christ, which is a lot more valuable than a new baseball, let me tell you. We have Jesus Christ, and, and yet we're so intimidated to build relationships with the people around us, and we don't really know how. And life is all about those relationships. That's what life is all about. You so I thought a pastor would say, life is all about God. Yes, it's all about God. And, and I believe the Westminster Confession got it right that our primary purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But how do we glorify and enjoy God? It's through a relationship with him, and then when he fills us with his spirit, to be able to bring him to others, to be able to relate to others so that we can tell them about the greatest relationship. When we think about our purpose as a church, our mission as a church, to lead the nation's neighbors, the next generation, to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. We want them to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, but we have to be able to relate to them to relay that relationship. And then to disciple those who already have been born again, we want them to know him better, to love him more, and to serve Christ with greater passion. And so we have to be able to relate to people, to disciple people. And so let me encourage you, don't compromise your mission in order to relate to people. But also, don't compromise your mission in life by not relating to people, by not connecting with the people around you. And so let me give you some wisdom this morning from Proverbs, not from a pastor, but from God, from the book of Proverbs, words of wisdom to help you better relate for the glory of God in this world. Number one, as Christians, we need to determine to be a real friend. You know, Proverbs is full of instruction, and we won't get to every verse in Proverbs that deals with friendships, but there are so many verses in Proverbs. I think of one sometimes in the King James Version in Proverbs 18 that it says to have friends, one must show himself friendly. In the context there, it may question a little bit of, of the motive of the friendships, but, but if we're going to have friends in life, then we have to show ourselves friendly. We can't just go around saying, well, nobody will be my friend. I don't have any friends. You have to be the one to initiate the process. You must show yourself friendly. Now flip over to Proverbs 27.10. If you're not already there, we read it just a moment ago. Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend. Some connections God has placed in your life. Those aren't by accident. Don't just go to your brother's house in time of calamity. I mean, I'm glad I can go to my brother's house, right? My biological brother. But he lives on the other side of the county. Are there some people between here and there that can be a friend in need and a friend in deed? He says, better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Learn to reach out to the people around you. Develop friendships. But Pastor Robbie, we don't have anything in common with the people around us. What was Jesus known as? Remember when he had called Matthew to come follow him? I heard a great message on that even this week. He had called Matthew to come and follow him, and then he had a party at Matthew's house, and, and he revealed that he was a friend of sinners. He hung out with those who didn't know. Now, there was there accountability there? Yes. 
Were the disciples aware of what was going on? Certainly. And we need strong friendships in our life with other believers. We need our most intimate relationships to be with people who know and love and serve Christ as well. But we don't cut ourselves off from the world. We build friendships and relationships with us for the sake of gospel. And if Jesus was a friend of sinners, then we need to be a friend of sinners as well. Turn all the way to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning verse 27. He says, when it is within your power, don't withhold good from one to whom it is due. In other words, if you can be a blessing to somebody, be a blessing to somebody. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, and I'll give it to you tomorrow. When it's, with, when, when it's there with you, when it's within your power to do something, seek to be a blessing to the people around you. And, and then you will eventually earn an opportunity to speak into their life. If they're a brother or sister in Christ who, who they're just not walking with God or they're somebody who doesn't know the Lord and they're involved in some things that, that lead them to reject Jesus Christ and not let go of the things of this world, by being that friend to them, by being a real friend in their life, it will eventually open up opportunity and receptivity for the gospel, for correction and encouragement from the word. Look back at chapter 27 at some previous verses to verse 10. In verse 6, it says, The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. So it's better for a friend to hurt your feelings than for an enemy to make you feel good. It's better are the wounds of a friend. Look at verse 9. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. So we need friends in our life who can share the gospel with us or people we can share the gospel with. We need friends in our life who can point out destructive habits and behaviors and sometimes hurt our feelings, but because they speak truth into our life, because they don't just let you whine and complain, they say, look, you need to get over it and move on. Those kind of friends are people who will be a blessing to you. The problem is when it comes to our neighbors, When it comes to the people around us, people we go to school with, we are in such a competitive environment in the world today. Whether it's you're talking about in athletics, where you're talking about politically competitive with the people around us, where you're talking about the workforce or people that we go to school with, we're always, we're we're almost labeling every human being we interact with as our competitors in the world. And, And we have such a competitive spirit about us. I made the comment this week at the pastor's conference the REACH conference down in Warner Robins, that it's such a sweet spirit among the pastors. I said, I said, I remember coming here years ago, and, and we didn't have the friendships, and every brother you saw, you weren't hugging their neck like you, like you were now. It, it was such a wonderful thing. It was revival happening and encouraging one another. It was such a blessing to be there because I said, I remember time going to pastor's conference years ago when you walked in, and it was kind of like I shared with, with, with Scott, who uh, grew up here at Trinity, is, is now doing evangelism with the GBC. And I shared with Scott, I said, I remember a time where it was kind of like, and, and I recalled going to a, an all-star baseball coaches meeting. Some of you laugh because you've been to there, you've been to those meetings, right? And I, listen, I only got to help coach one all-star team in, in my days, so I wasn't necessarily an all-star coach by, by any stretch of the imagination. But I remember going into that meeting, 
And if you've never gone to one of those, I mean, the testosterone level's just like out the roof. Man, these guys are competitive, and they're like, it's just like, man, we're ready to go. You're the enemy. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm going to the meeting thinking, man, we're going to find out what Little League baseball is all about. You know, I will uh, trust in God, and I will love my country, and I will always uh, play to win, or, but win or lose. You know, I'm, I thought, man, we're going to be saying the Little League motto, and we're going to talk about pouring in the life. Man, we got there, and you would have thought, man, we, this was the pros. And I mean, these guys came in and I mean, egos were on the sleeves and it was just, and I was like, well, I've gone to pastor's conferences and it was the same way. And people are looking at their churches as being in competition with one another. They were looking at, at brothers and sisters in Christ as somebody who might be a threat. They compare themselves. Even today, you look at social media and it's like, Christians are trying to brag about, man, who's got it all together better than everybody else? And all you're seeing on social media is the highlight reel of their life. Anyway, you're not seeing behind the scenes. And we look at people around us as competition rather than people who are in need of some real friends. They say, but Pastor Robbie, bad company corrupts good character. Yes. And we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Right. What fellowship does light have with darkness? I get that. I'm not talking about fellowship. I'm talking about a friendship. I'm talking about building relationships with those people who don't know Jesus Christ and and building friendships with people who need to grow in their walk with Christ. Yes, your best friend should be people of the faith. But be a friend to those who have no friends. Connect. Love. Find common ground so that you earn the right to speak into their life. So many Proverbs on this one, but we're going to move on to the next one. After you've determined, hey, I'm going to be a real friend, learn to demonstrate grace as a way of life. Learn to demonstrate grace as a way of life. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor, right? It's something we cannot earn, something we don't deserve. God is just good to us. I was thinking about this morning as I was overwhelmed in worship, how awesome God is. For a moment, I began to feel so unworthy of this opportunity. Who am I to stand here and share the word of God with you when I know there are areas in my life where I don't have it all together? All these areas in my life that I need to work on. Who am I to stand and proclaim the, the, the treasures? And I, I remembered Ephesians 3.8, standing right here worshiping a moment, moment ago, where Paul says, to me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I thank God for his grace. And if I can be overwhelmed that God would show me Grace, And I pray this morning that wherever you sit, whatever you're going through in life, that you can at least be aware of God's amazing grace in your life. It's unearned, undeserved, nothing we could ever work toward or it wouldn't be grace by definition. As a result of having received that, we should show others grace. If we can't earn it, we don't deserve it. Then why should we demand others earn it from us? us. I'm not just talking about a theological understanding of grace. I'm talking about a demonstration in your life. Back to chapter 3. We were there just earlier, but I want you to look at verses 29 and 30. We left off with verse 29. He says, don't plan any harm against your neighbor. 
for he trusts you. He lives near you. And be a blessing to the people around you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done you no harm. It seems like we're always looking to see if we can get the edge on somebody else. Now back again. I told you you'd be back and forth a good bit. uh, Chapter 24, verses 28 and 29. He says, don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. It's, it's like we have a philosophy in the 21st century. It's don't get mad, get even. In fact, today we don't even say don't get mad, get even. We say don't get even, get ahead. And so he says, don't have this attitude of I've got to get them back. If we're not careful, we can bring this road rage mentality into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and into our churches where we have constantly in the back of our minds, I'll show them. I'll show, the, the way they meet, made me feel, you know, here's Jesus saying, love your enemy, do good to those who do evil to you, bless those who curse you and despitefully use you, and you're like, man, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not about to turn the other cheek let somebody run over me. If our Lord had had that mentality, he'd have never gone to the cross on our behalf. Be reminded of Proverbs 15.1 where it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. One thing I've learned about arguments is it takes two people to argue. But if one will come back with a gracious and gentle answer, it disarms the other one. You could even make them angry and frustrated because they're like, Man, I was ready for a fight. You're being all nice to me. takes the Holy Spirit to produce that in our lives. In Proverbs 19, 11, it says the glory of a man is to overlook a matter. And so we need to come to a place in life where we say, you know what? I am not going to make a big deal out of that. I'm going to let it go. You've seen the website, right? (laughs) Letgo.com. Some of you are are dragging some things through life with you, and I'm not talking about the, the, the grill or the the old car, whatever it is that you need to sell online, but I'm talking about some bitterness and some anger and some hatred or somebody's done you wrong or somebody didn't treat you right, they didn't respect you as they should. Could be your spouse, could be your children, could be the person who lives next door. Somebody that you need to be influencing with the gospel of Jesus Christ and instead of a demonstration of grace, you're dragging this with you and it's time to let go. Let it go today. And again, we get so competitive and we want to win the fight. Is it worth it to win the fight and lose the person? Is it worth it to win the argument and prove you were right but lose the relationship and an opportunity to influence them for the cause of Christ? Even if they're lost and opposed to your stand for righteousness Proverbs 11 and verse 12, we're still not to show contempt. As you turn or scroll to Proverbs 11, it says, whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense. 
What is contempt? It means to consider somebody beneath me or to consider somebody worthless or to belittle them. Whoever shows contempt considers their neighbor beneath them or worthless or whoever belittles their neighbor lacks sense, does not have good judgment. And I might add, loses the opportunity to show the love of Christ. And so remember the grace that you received. I believe so many times people look at how we relate to them as Christ followers because we've made it known either in our personal conversation or by the way they see us leave for worship on Sunday mornings or bring our kids to church on Wednesday nights. They know that we're Christ followers or that we claim to be Christians and they look at what we have to offer and they say, man, I need that. I've got sin in my life. I need to know that there's a Savior. I need to know there's help for my home. But I, I see with this, whatever drug they're taking down there, that's got some bad side effects. Have you ever listened to commercials on TV about the side effects of some things that you thought would be helpful? And then you heard the side effects and you thought, man, that sounds worse than what I'm dealing with. And sometimes we give people that. I, I, I read just a couple of things concerning uh, side effects for a couple of different drugs. One was Ambien. Some of you have tried that before, or, or maybe you have had to take that for certain things. But the side effect says that, basically, I'm summarizing here, so, so there's some weird things that can happen at night with you having no recollection whatsoever. And I thought, man, I probably don't need to go that route. Sometimes I feel like I struggle. My, my wife probably says it's in my head, and it probably is. But with, with, I can go to bed at night and have this restless leg thing going on. And, and I read the side effects for a particular medicine because it was supposed to bring a, a stop to restless leg syndrome. And I thought, man, that, that would be cool to have. it help you sleep at night, deal with restless leg syndrome. And, and here were the side effects of the me- medicine for restless leg syndrome. Common side effects include constipation, dizziness, increased sweating, lightheadedness, loss of appetite, nausea, vomiting, and weakness. I think I'll take the restless legs before I take something like that. Sometimes they'll get the the guy to give the disclaimer at the end of the commercial on TV, and he says it so fast, you're like, I didn't even hear all those side effects. They didn't want you to hear them. And why do I share that? Because some people are saying, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And, and, and what they're getting down at that church or, or, or what they're getting when they read their Bible, what they're getting as a Christ follower, I have sin in my life and I need a cure for that. I need what they've got. But I've noticed some side effects in their life. The side effects of their, their religion. So if the cure for my sin is going to be religious legalism, a mean critical spirit, a life of isolation, spiritual snobbery where they're looking down, I'd rather not have that. I'd rather, as much as I need the gospel, if those are the side effects, I don't want to be that way. Because we forget, and we looked at it this morning, it's so important for us to walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. Because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. Listen, these should be the side effects, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we've got these things in abundance in our life, people say, man, now if that's the side effects, here, I'll take what they're having. So what are the side effects people observe in your life? Are you demonstrating grace by the way you relate to people in your home, by the way you relate to the people in your community, your church, the people 
that you go to school with, the people that you work around, that they see, you know, they must believe in the grace of God. They must have experienced the grace of God because it radiates from them and it's affecting me. Demonstrate grace as a way of life, treating people better than they deserve. And finally this morning, if we're going to better relate in the world around us, we need to die to self on a daily basis. Die to self on a daily basis. Sometimes we're so in bondage to self that we're not free to relate to the people around us. And so I've got several passages I want us to look at here, the first one being uh, chapter 28 and verse 25. It says, a greedy person provokes conflict. The New Testament echoes that, that when we're greedy, when we're selfish, when everything's got to be about us, we're going to cause conflict. But whoever trusts the Lord will prosper. That means instead of greed, we trust God. We become generous people. We're we're giving to the kingdom. We're giving to the people around us. We're trying to be a channel of God's blessing rather than somebody greed, somebody who has to make it all about me. Chapter 13 and verse 10. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. Arrogance. So (laughs) greed says, I've got to have more. It's all about me. Arrogance puffs oneself up. He says, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. So if if we're not going to be arrogant, then we're going to be people who listen to those around us. We don't become religious know it alls but we listen to what somebody else has to contribute. Chapter 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up conflict, but a hot-tempered man increases, and a hot-tempered man increases rebellion. So we can move from greed to arrogance now to anger where we're just, sometimes as a church, we get so angry at the behavior of this world when we don't realize or we fail to remember that this world is sin-fallen and sinners are doing what sinners by nature do. They embrace the values that they by nature embrace when they haven't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we should not respond in anger at that and cause conflict and draw swords with lost people, but be reminded that they're the ones that we're trying to rescue. They're the ones that we're trying to reach with the gospel. And then chapter 11, again, verses 24 and 25. It says, one person gives freely yet gains more, and another withholds what is right only to become poor. And so we we refuse to be generous. And it causes us more poverty because we're trying to hold on to our own desires. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. In other words, when you see yourself as a channel of blessing in this world, Not just material blessing, although I think that's part of it, but when you see yourself as a channel of blessing where you want God to bless others through your life, 
If he says, if, if you're giving water freely, then I'm going to keep you filled because you want to be a channel of that so that I can flow through you. And then chapter 12 and verse 12. The wicked desire what evil men have. Some translations say lust. <laughs> we have desire. We have lust. We desire what the world has. We desire material things, sexual things, whatever it may be. And so our relationships are merely attempts at exploiting the people around us. Greed, anger, arrogance, lust, we want more. And when we make it all about us, we're coming to a place in life where we will self-destruct if we're not careful. Say, wait a minute, if I I say I'm going to take care of myself first, that's not self-destruction, that's self-preservation. I'm reminded of the story that Paul Harvey told many years ago. And it was a story, he had heard how Eskimos would catch wolves or kill wolves when they were so elusive. And he said that they would take a knife and they would dip it in animal's blood and freeze it dip it again and freeze it. Every time they would add a layer of blood, they would freeze it again and freeze it and freeze it until until finally you had this giant blood popsicle, right? They would go out in the freezing temperatures where the wolf had been maybe killing their animals or wherever it may be, and, and they would stick that knife, the handle of it, in the ground firmly. And the wolf would come along and would see this what was a blood popsicle. And I'm sure that Peter would not appreciate this story this morning, but The wolf would begin to lick the blood because wolves have an insatiable appetite for blood. So they would continue to lick that blood and lick that blood till eventually they did not realize it. They had already cleaned the knife of the frozen blood and they were slicing their own tongue. But they would continue to taste blood. Even though it was their own blood, they would continue to lick because of their insatiable appetite for blood, trying to get more, trying to get more, trying to get more, they would bleed to death there in the snow. And some of us can be the same way with our greed, with our lust, with our desire to make it all about us and exploit relationships rather than showing a demonstration of grace to the people around us. We make it all about us. And we're spiritually bleeding to death. Pastor, if I try to win others, if I try to reach others, if I try to promote others instead of self, what if they run all over me? What if I, in my competitive spirit, what if I don't get the best of those around me? Listen, we're not here to exploit those around us. Let me remind you what I said a moment ago. If Jesus had come for that reason, we would be in trouble today. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says. This mind, this attitude, being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The one who became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, when the Bible says he had every right to claim his divinity and his royalty, he laid that aside, becoming obedient to the death, the death of a cross. Why? Because... For Jesus at that moment, relationships were more important than his rights. What happened as a result of that? After the death on the cross, God gave him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. 
And we're to have his attitude. We're to have his mindset so that we die to self because our relationships are more important. Listen, the world is telling us to scream for our rights. In our home, fight for your rights. In our community, in our nation, everybody's got to fight for their rights. But Jesus said, die to yourself. And the irony, the paradox, if you will, is that that's how you have greater influence. That's how you end up with more rights. Because you've made the relationship a priority and you're winning people. You're loving people. You're making a difference in the lives of those around you. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Every head bowed, every eye closed.